my I'm gonna give you two as well so I have absolutely had my kindness used against me I took a personality test and it said that if there was a serial killer on the loose my personality would be most likely to die because I just believed the best in humanity and thought, well, as long as I was good, other people would be good back to me. So I didn't have to do the wisdom of discernment. I could just be nice and God or the universe or whatever you believe in would send nice people to me. And I didn't have to worry about discernment, um, seeing people for who they are, seeing the truth behind their words and making sure their truth, their, the truth of their words and the truth of their actions align. And that's a wisdom. And that was a muscle and a wisdom I was not working in my earlier life. It was just like, everybody's good. Or at least everybody that I know was good. Of course, there are bad people on the news. There are bad people if I stayed out too late. There are bad people if I went behind a bar. You know, I shouldn't do those things. But as long as I was like staying in the, staying in the lane of where the good people lived, um, then I would be fine. And that's obviously a very naive way of thinking. But more people believe that way than, than you would think. Because when you have to confront evil, it's scary. Heroes are an inspiring group of people. Every one of them from the larger-than-life comic book heroes you see on the big silver screen, the everyday heroes that let us live the privileged lives we do. Every hero has a story to tell. From the doctor saving lives at your local hospital, to the war veteran down the street who risked his life for our freedom, to the police officers and the firefighters who risk their safety to ensure ours. Every hero is special and every story worth telling. But there is one class of heroes that I think is often ignored. The entrepreneur, the creator, the producer. The ones who look at the problems in this world and think to themselves, you know what? I can fix that. I can help people. I can make a difference. Then they go out and do exactly that by creating a new product or introducing a new service. Some go on to change the world. Others make a world of difference to their customers. Welcome to The Hero Show. Join us as we pull back the masks on the world's finest heropreneurs and learn the secrets to their powers, their success, and their influence. So you can use those secrets to attract more sales, make more money, and experience more freedom in your business. I'm your host, Richard Matthews, and we are on in three, two, one. Hello and welcome back to the Air Show. My name is Richard Matthews, and today I have live on the line Sarah K. Ramsey. Sarah, are you there? I'm here. Hello. <laughs> awesome. Where are you uh, calling in from today, Sarah? I am in Tennessee, the pretty part of Tennessee. So Tennessee is a oh. long state, so I'm in the pretty part. <laughs> Uh, we got to go to Tennessee a couple of years ago on our travels, got to go into Nashville, and I loved Nashville. Um, one of my favorite cities we've been in in the whole country. Really good food, really fun people. I had the best donut of my life there. So, you know, I'm I'm a fan of Tennessee. <laughs> Most people are. It's it's come a long way. We wear shoes and the internet and everything now. I know. I also, while we were in Nashville, we had a... Um, what do they call it? A tornado warning while we were there. Like we were in downtown Nashville, like going to the uh, honky tonk bars or whatever. And like a tornado tried to touch down in downtown while we were there. And I was like, I was like, I feel like we've had the true Nashville experience because we had good music and we had good food and we had Midwestern storms. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Yes. You had the true Nashville experience for sure. <laughs> cool. So for my listeners who have been following along with my wife and I's travels, we are currently in Kissimmee, Florida. Um, we're at one of our favorite resorts down here in Florida and having a good time. So 
what I want to do to start off is just do a really brief introduction um, for who you are, and then we'll get in and start talking about your story. So um, Sarah is a toxic relationship specialist, uh, best-selling author, and a life coach. Um, and so what I want to uh, have you start off with is telling me what it is that you're known for, right? So who do you serve? What do you do for them? So I help people who have had their kindness used against them become toxic person. So I love the superhero idea. We talk about becoming your own superhero all the time. And it is, people just think, okay, well, if I'm nice, then everyone will be nice back and you won't be a villain. But there are villains. There are other superheroes who have bad days. There are all these complexities of the human experience. And we want to be able to bring our best self to each version of those experiences. And so what you do is you help people who have dealt with those toxic relationships to either like to work on themselves so they know how to like protect themselves from those kind of relationships. Yeah. To build themselves back up, to have true confidence, to learn to trust themselves, to clear any confusion left over in their heads um, and go on to design life about living. Awesome. So just, Following question is how do you actually deliver on the life coaching? Is it one-on-one? -on -one? Is it like speaking from stage or is it like group coaching? What do you actually, how do you actually deliver your, your goods? <laughs> All of the above. So I believe in different learning styles, right? So you can learn best one-on-one -on -one and I do one-on-one -on -one coaching. I do walk people through a curriculum of reconnecting with what's right with you. Becoming Toxic Person Proof and Designing a Life You're Excited About Living, which is all the clues and data I had from all these conversations. It's like, whoa, everybody needs some of the same information. Like we all need to learn to drink water and that green vegetables are good for us. You know, there's some things that are just like baseline that everyone needs to know. And then there's different nuances of problems that people may help solve. Absolutely. So you teach in a lot of different modalities. What I want to find out is how you got into this space, right? So we talk on this show about your origin story. Every comic book hero has an origin story. And it's the thing that made you into the hero you are today. Were you uh, born a hero or you, you know, bit by a radioactive spider that made you uh, get into toxic relationship coaching? Uh, basically, where did you come from? What made you want to get into entrepreneurship and helping people the way that you do? So if I had a superhero costume, it would be like have a, like a P and a P for people pleaser. <laughs> that would have been my first superhero costume. Not now, but like my, my origin superhero costume. And at the time I thought that was my hero's journey. It was taking care of everyone else. It was doing the right thing. It was being selfless. It was being kind, uh, I was annoyingly nice. Uh, my college or my high school spring break, instead of going and drinking with my friends, I talked my parents into taking me to a Salvation Army orphanage and we helped the orphans on my spring break. And so I was just kind of annoyingly good. Um, I grew up in a very religious household where it was good to be good and loved it. I had a lot of identity in that. 
And there were pieces of it that I still hold on to and that I still believe in. But there was a lot of people pleasing. There was a lot of love. There's that phrase, love others like you love yourself. And I was living a life of loving everyone except for myself. Yeah. Which is not loving anyone well. It's needing them to like me. It's needing them to think I'm wonderful. It's needing them to think I'm okay. It's needing them to validate my decisions. Yeah, absolutely. So I thought I was a superhero and I was trying to be everyone else's superhero, but I wasn't learning to save myself. Yeah. Um, I know the uh, love others as you love yourself. Um, I always, it's, 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 what is it? It's like Matthew 12 or something that Jesus is up on the Sermon of the Mountain. Someone asks him what the greatest commandment is. And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors as you love yourself. Um, and the thing that always stuck out to me is that is so many people forget that part of the commandment was love yourself. Uh, and, you know, it always reminds me of the, uh, the ladies on the airplanes who are like, if, you know, we experience a loss in cabin pressure, first put the mask over yourself and then help others around you. Right. Um, cause you, you can't, you can't help someone else. You can't love someone else. if You don't love yourself. Like your own cup isn't full. And the thing that really clicked in my head is how good I was at helping other people become more selfish. Or if you're in from a, a biblical background, how good I was at helping everyone else become better sinners. And I yeah. thought I was being selfless. I thought I was being kind. I thought I was doing the right thing. But there was growing up and maturity that they needed to do that I was trying to save them from. It was incredibly unhealthy. I would call it enabling behavior now. But at the time, I thought I was just being a good Christian girl. I thought I was just doing the right thing. And it resulted in my nervous system shutting down. I stopped driving a car um, completely sober, no drugs, no prescription drugs, no alcohol. And my body just shut down and I stopped driving. And I had three other women in the car with me that it could have been devastating. Um, and it was the wake up call I needed. So how did you go from body shutting down, having a problem with who, you know, just your identity essentially to becoming an entrepreneur who helps other people who are in the same situation? (laughs) Very good question. And I built on what I was already good at. Okay. So I was already good at helping other people, right? Like that was already part of who my identity and who I was. The piece that was missing was leading by example. Okay. And have you ever met someone who said, I'm great at giving advice, but I don't take my own advice. And those people they may think they're being nice. They may think they're being kind. They may think they're being whatever, caring. But in reality, they're being dishonest. They're saying, I'm willing to tell you what to do, but I'm not willing to do it myself. Awesome, Sarah. And I wanted to become someone who was willing to do it themselves. It was saying, hey, put the air mask on your own face and put the air mask on my own face. 
I wanted to do what I was telling other people they should do. And that was the real piece I was missing on the love others and love myself. Yeah, absolutely. So just FYI, it, you cut out for just a second there on my side. Recording should still be there, so we should be fine. But I didn't I hear it. Cut out. I made sure to cover it, and I think you'll be fine. <laughs> I was saying that I like I wanted to lead by example. That a lot of people yeah. say, you know, I'm great at giving advice that I don't take myself. And so I wanted to become someone who loved others and loved themselves. And and Absolutely. showed both of those things in my life. Cool. So what I want to find out next then is in this journey of becoming a superhero, you're, you know, a superhero that you're actually proud to be um, instead of what you call a people pleaser. I like that. Um, what, how did you discover your superpower? Right. And, you know, we talk on the show, every superhero has a superpower, whether that's super strength or a fancy flying suit made by their genius intellect, or, you know, the ability to call down thunder from the sky. Um, your superpower is either a skill or a set of skills that you were born with or you developed over time that really help you to slay the villains in your client's life, right? And help them come out on top in their journeys. And the way I like to phrase it or frame it for people is if you look at all the skills that you've developed um, over the course of your career, there's probably a common thread that ties them all together. And that common thread is where you'll find your superpower. So with that framing, what do you think your superpower is? I'm an incredible communicator. So I take very complicated problems and give you a story. I do not want to compare myself to Jesus at all, but you brought him up. So, you know, when Jesus was teaching, he tells a story. Yeah. <laughs> so whether it's a Sermon on the Mount or the Good Samaritan or um, the Fish and the Loaves, right? There's some like story that we remember. When we say, I want to be the Good Samaritan. I want to be the widow who gives her very last bit in uh, because of her religion. I want to be that widow. I want to be the Good Samaritan. And I want to be, I don't want to be the man, who, the rich man who can't fit through the eye of the camel, right? Whatever these stories are, we remember them and we can tell them. And that's important to like give people stories they remember. For example, You've heard of the bound, like heard of boundaries, right? Like everyone needs to have better boundaries. And so a story that I tell is the story of the three little pigs. Okay. So you have a pig who had stick boundaries, a pig who had straw boundaries, and a pig who had brick boundaries. So I ask you, which one of those boundaries changed the big bad wolf? The brick boundaries. Did it change the big bad wolf? Did he stop puffing and he puffing? Or did it just protect the pig? It protected the pig. Yep. So we get that when we think about boundaries, because you hear that word thrown around from someone's mistreating you, a boss, an employee, a spouse, a parent, a sibling. And people say, you need to work on your boundaries. Okay. So that's great. We do need to work on boundaries. But the purpose of boundaries is to protect pigs, not to change wolves. Yeah. Because I think we get this idea in our head, oh, well, my boss will change personalities if I have better boundaries. My mother will stop playing the victim in her own life if I have better boundaries. 
my sibling will take more responsibility for Christmas dinner if I have better boundaries. That's not the purpose of boundaries. It's to protect pigs, not to change wolves. Because the big bad wolf still huffed and he puffed. He couldn't blow the house down, but he didn't yeah. say, oh, oh, well, you beat me. Now we can be friends. Oh, you you showed me, didn't you? I'm going to change personalities and let's let's play gin rummy now and we can just hang out in your house and it'll all be fine. Which is what I think people think of when they think of boundaries. And it's an, unfor- it's an unfortunate piece of conversation that I'm looking to change. Uh, but that's my superpower. You will remember that story forever. Every time will. you hear that's the word boundary. So, so there's, there's two things story. I want to pull out of that. One of them is the actual superpower of the, the storytelling. And the second one, I, I comment on the boundaries thing, because I think that's really fascinating. Uh, but first on the storytelling, one of the things that I've been a really strong believer in for a long time, um, I actually went to Bible college. It's one of my uh, my foundational sort of like things. So I have a whole bunch of study in that space. Um, but one of the things I learned there, um, and I can't remember exactly who it was that that said this to me, but it's stuck forever. And it was that human beings, like as a species, we are a story born people. Um, and mm-hmm. so everything we do, everything in our lives, we judge on stories. And the way that we look at relationships, we build our relationships and Uh, measure our relationships on the stories that we know and the stories that we tell. And so one of the things that um, I regularly tell my kids and my clients, my coworkers, my friends is that we judge relationships based on stories. So you have something, you know, a friend or sorry, an acquaintance might be someone whose name, you know, but whose story you don't, right? A friend is someone who, you know, their name and you know, some of their stories. And, you know, a best friend is someone who, you know, their name and you know, so many of their stories that, the only way you get to be closer is to go out and create new stories and experiences together, right? And so our relationships are always about stories. And I always tell people, I was like, if you want to know the secret to relationship hacking, it's get good at telling stories and hearing stories. So the exchange of stories is how relationships are built. Um, and that's why podcasting is a fun I love. I love that. And also within that realm of, of knowing your stories, if someone is like stuck in their own life and they're like, is this, do I have a good life right now? Are there things I need to change? You can think about your life as a story in a movie. Yeah. And if you were the character in your own life and they were filming you, would people go, oh my gosh, why is she putting up with that behavior? Or would they say, you're such a jerk. Why are you always ignoring your kids? Or would they say, you have got to leave that job, right? It can be a really fun way of getting clear about the story of our own lives and yeah, where yeah. we might it's need to, to change that like story. Because um, you're in charge, right? You're the author of your own story. Um, and that's, I think that's super powerful. Yes, which we um, and then the second thing that I wanted to comment on was the boundaries thing. And the boundaries, it's, it, that's an interesting discussion on boundaries because in the entrepreneurship, yeah, oh, wow mess up on my my tongue there, trip over it. We talk about boundaries a lot on this show, but we talk about a different like form of boundaries, right? So uh, we'll, we'll get it. I'll probably get into this a little bit when we talk about fatal flaws, which is the other side of the superpowers, is uh, the lack of self-care is something that I struggled with for a long time. And a lot of times that showed up in not having good boundaries with clients and not having good boundaries with my relationship with time, right? Like how I was spending... Uh, my time on my business and other things and realizing 
that I had to build boundaries. And one of my favorite stories in relationship to boundaries was something that uh, I can't remember. The, I think it was uh, the Anthony Elephant by Vince Visconti. He talked about this, this uh, experiment they did with children and boundaries. And uh, so they had a uh, uh, like a, a park that was outside of the school. And it's got the big concrete pad where they could play on. And then outside the concrete pad, it has the grass. And then, you know, the grass park or whatever is, is lined by the sidewalks and the streets that go into the town or whatever. And they took all the fencing down off of the, uh, um, around the grass area and let all the kids go out to play. And all the kids, when there's no boundaries, they would self-select the boundary of the concrete pad and all the kids would stay on the concrete pad. And repeated the experiment multiple times with multiple groups of kids, same, ex same experience. With no boundary, they all stay on the concrete pad because it's, it's an invisible boundary. Uh, and the moment they put the fencing up, back around the grass, the kids would spread out across the whole thing. And the conclusion um, was essentially that creativity thrives with boundaries. Mm -hmm. uh, and so one of the things that I started doing and applying in my life was learning how to use boundaries to influence creativity. Um, so if you, uh, it works in a lot of different ways, but you know, I'm a photographer by hobby. Um, I used to do it professionally, but you know, one of the things as a photographer is you have, you have a little box, right? That's, that's the world that you get to view the world. You know, you get to be, show the other people your view of the world and you, th that's your boundary. Um, art, a lot of art is that way. You have the boundary of your canvas or the boundary of, you know, the film that you're producing. Um, and I like to think of boundaries in terms of, um, in ev everything that we do. So, uh, I started doing that with my time for my business where, I was like, you know, I was, I was doing the whole entrepreneurship thing where it's like, you know, let's work 90 or a hundred hours a week. Um, and you know, the harder I work and the longer I work, the, you know, the more progress I'll make. And you find out that's not really true, uh, because time can be abusive, <laughs> like and it, 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 it can be an abusive relationship. And, um, I started cutting that where it's like, well, you know, what happens to my life if I start saying, Hey, I can only work eight hours a day, or I can only work five days a week, or I can only work four days a week and maybe it's only six hours a day uh, for four days a week. And like, I'm at this point now where I work on average four hours a day, four days a week. And I run two companies uh, with employees all over the world. Uh, whereas when I was working 90 hours a week, I was by myself and getting nothing accomplished. <laughs> and it was only by creatively using boundaries that I was able to change that relationship, that toxic relationship with time. So anyways, I wanted to share that sort of story with you to see what your thoughts are and how that sort of fits in with your view of boundaries. Oh my gosh. So that's really fascinating that that's you're talking to me about because I am almost finished with my second book and I've written it in about two weeks. Yeah. And I have been taking naps and I've been going to bed and getting like 10 or 11 hours of sleep. And I have been turning my radio off and thinking in my car and really purposely detoxing my own life from the stress of entrepreneurship. Yeah. There were some recent situations. I had an incredible February. My book hit the bestseller list. I had all these people wanting to work with me, had an incredible winter and spring within my business. Then had an incredible summer with my kids, you know, getting them ready, preparing them for certain things. And I, I had to go in this season of almost fall or late summer. And I was like, I don't have any major problems to solve. 
I'm at a good place in my life. I'm at a good place with my kids. I'm at a good place in my marriage. I'm at a good place in my business or even great with all this. I need to chill out. <laughs> I need to let hit the reset on this, my body for this next phase. And my husband came in this morning. I was typing and he said, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I've almost finished my second book. And he goes, what? How did, how did you do that? I said, well, look, and I show him the book outline with all the chapters and it's first draft. I'm going to do, you know, changes and let people read it and make changes, obviously. Um, but he goes, how did you do that? Because he knows I'm taking naps. I'm going to bed early. I'm not working as much. I'm not working as late. And it's exactly what you said. It's creating that space in my head so that when it's time to come out in creativity or come out in problem solving or come out in power or come out in communication, I'm more powerful. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's scary too. I'm not scared. Of, yeah. This people ask, have asked what I'm afraid of because I'll launch a book. I'll start a course. I'll do a public event. I'll do a podcast. I'll do whatever. And they ask me what I'm afraid of. And I'm afraid of this next book. Like I'm, kind of thinking maybe I'll write another book. So I release it before I have to release this one <laughs> because it does seem like kind of this harnessed power that is out of my comfort zone. And I haven't been out of my comfort zone in a while, which doesn't make sense if you looked at my life, because it would seem like I was out of other people's comfort zones. Right. But I haven't been out of my comfort zone in a while. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. So I'm facing my feet as we're talking. What's interesting is um, that brings up another um, topic that I love to talk about, which is the idea that um, as entrepreneurs, we like to think of rest as a reward yeah. and not um, rest as a requirement to do good work. So we like to think, you know, when I'm done, when I accomplish my task, then I'll rest. Then I'll go and have some fun with my kids. Then I'll go do these things. You know, I'll, I'll take the dog for a walk or whatever it is that we put in our rest and recreation boxes, right? And the problem as entrepreneurs is we never get to there because we don't really have a good defined there anyways. Um, so we never do that. And I I find that in order to do good work, in order to do powerful work, like you're talking about, you have the rest and recreation is a requirement that you have to do first, <laughs> right? And you see all of that and, you know, there's book titles like pay yourself first, right? And they, you know, it's talking about, you know, profits and account accounting and whatnot, but it's the same concept, right? You have to learn how to put yourself first. We mentioned at the beginning of the, the thing, you have to, you know, put your own mask on. Um, you have to uh, love yourself first. Yeah. And that's part of that, that whole process is learning to include rest and recreation as part of what you do in order to do good work. Well, and in leading by example, right? People ask me, to become their problem solvers for them. What, what I am obsessed about is taking complicated problems and helping people solve them, okay? That's really what I do, which toxic people just happen to be a really complicated problem. If you're talking about like cutting off your mother, that's a very complicated problem. If we're talking about quitting your job because of a toxic boss, that's a very complicated problem. So really, I'm a professional problem solver and my LinkedIn says that. So I do help people become toxic person proof, but I'm obsessed with this deconstruction of complicated problems and figuring out solutions for them. And if I'm tired 
or if I'm showing up to these complicated problems, distracted, not really paying attention to them, not really having enough energy to care, that's, that, that should be terrifying to everyone. I need to show up as my best self because people are asking me, should I move across the country? Should I get a divorce? Should I cut boundaries with my child who's, you know, maybe has drug issues and they're trying to use me for money? These are huge problems to solve. I, I can't in integrity show up to these types of problems exhausted and distracted. Uh, and that's that's an interesting thing too, because like you're, that's it's very visible for what you do, but mm-hmm. it's applicable to everyone, right? So even if what you're doing is you're helping your client build a website or write copy, um, like it may not be visible hardcore relationship stuff that's going to impact their life, but it's the same kind of thing. If you don't show up at the top of your game, that impacts people. Mm-hmm. Um, it impacts the value that you can mm-hmm. bring. So, anyways, rest and recreation is. A bio, you know, a, a very important part of <laughs> having good boundaries in your life. Um, so, what I want to talk about though is the flip side of your superpower. So, if your superpower is you know the storytelling and the problem solving, the flip side of that is your fatal flaw, right? Just like every Superman has his kryptonite, or Wonder Woman who can't remove her bracelets of victory without going mad, you probably have something that you struggled with, a flaw. Um, and for me, I had a couple of them. I mentioned one of them earlier. I struggled with uh, with lack of self care, which you know presented itself in you know letting my clients walk all over me and not having good relationships with with time. I also struggled with perfectionism for a long time. It's like you know I could always tweak it, make it a little bit better, and then never actually ship it to market, um, which is a really low standard when you think about it because you're not actually doing anything. Um, you're just playing with the lights on the screen, is what my wife used to say. <laughs> um, so with yeah, yeah. So I think more important than what your flaw is, though, is how have you worked to overcome it so you could continue to grow your business so people who are listening might learn a little bit from your uh, your experience? My, I'm going to give you two as well. So I have absolutely had my kindness used against me. I took a personality test and it said that if there was a serial killer on the loose, my personality would be most likely to die because I just believed the best in humanity and thought, well, as long as I was good, other people would be good back to me. So I didn't have to do the wisdom of discernment. I could just be nice and God or the universe or whatever you believe in would send nice people to me. And I didn't have to worry about discernment. Um, seeing people for who they are, seeing the truth behind their words and making sure their truth, their the truth of their words and the truth of their actions align. And that's a wisdom. And that was a muscle and a wisdom I was not working in my earlier life. It was just like, everybody's good. Or at least everybody that I know was good. Of course, there are bad people on the news. There are bad people if I stayed out too late. There are bad people if I went behind a bar. You know, I shouldn't do those things. But as long as I was like staying in the staying in the lane of where the good people lived, um, then I would be fine. And that's obviously a very naive way of thinking. But more people believe that way than than you would think. Because when you have to yeah. confront evil, it's scary. 
And I do think there are evil people now, more so. I mean, according to experts, either one in every 10 or one in every five people have a personality disorder, which means they are going to blame shift. They are going to not feel bad if they hurt you. And they're going to try to either control you or play the victim so that you do the work of the relationship. One out of every 10 or one out of every five. We cannot ignore those statistics if we want to protect our children from child abuse. We cannot ignore those statistics if we want to protect ourselves from marrying someone who's mentally unstable. We cannot ignore those statistics when we sign on the bottom line with either a customer or a business partner. Those are, those are true statistics yeah. and it's getting worse. I, I don't mean to be like a scare factor, but it's getting worse. So my first fatal flaw was believing in the good of humanity, which just sounds funny because of course I still believe in the good of humanity. I just also believe in discernment. Okay. And that I need to be wise and yeah. not try to avoid the work of seeing what's truly before my eyes because I don't want to see it. Okay. Yeah. So th- that's, that's, that's my first fatal flaw. Um, and my second fatal flaw is the pressure I put on myself to get this message out, to help people, to want to change the world, to, you know, I, I feel like it's a, it's a gift, my ability to communicate difficult things in a, in a way that sticks in a very sticky language is going to change the world. And I put a lot of pressure on myself to do so. So, uh, so it's so those are my two fatal flaws. Um, and working through it, I have several reminders in my phone that say this is a marathon, not a sprint. You do have time. You're not in a hurry. Um, those types of reminders come up on my phone every single day. That tell me, yes, this is your mission. But your mission doesn't have to be completed by the end of the day. Or the end of the yeah, week. That's, that's... Or the month. <laughs> or the year. I like the idea of having reminders because I have I have that kind of thing. My we have a what do you call it? All of our kids have their school tablets. And my son recently discovered yeah. that if he puts um if he puts uh tasks in the reminders app on the family list, that it shows up on my phone and notifies me. So like the other day, uh-huh. he was like, he, he put a repeating task on there. that was like every day at 12 o'clock, remind dad that I want to go to Chipotle with him for lunch. <laughs> I was like, it's like the kids Aww, thinking. Yeah, it's the same type of system where you're like, you're like, well, now I have to go and take him to Chipotle for lunch at some point because he like went through the effort. But I like the idea of having reminders just show up constantly to show you, you know, to remind you of what you're doing and your goals. Uh, and the other thing you mentioned, the other flaw about having the discernment to realize that there is like humanity is fallen, right? We have, uh, you know, like evil exists kind of thing is, is a, it's a hard thing to wrap your mind around. But it's also a realization that I've come to as you get older is you realize that like, it's not just humanity. It's like, it's me. Like you, you, the older you get, the more experience you have in life, you realize that like, there's a darkness inside of me too. Right. And you're like, oh, that's, that's scary. Uh, And I remember uh, I I listened to some talks by uh, Jordan Peterson who talked about that. When you confront, confront your own darkness, you realize that like, like, it's not, if if I have that, so does everyone else. Uh, And you realize that like a lot of, 
like everything operates on a bell curve, whether it's, you know, the IQ points that are spread across on a bell curve um, or the way technology gets accepted is on a bell curve. The, the where people fall on the scale of goodness operates on a bell curve. The overwhelming majority of people you run into are going to be good, right? They're going to be good people. We're trying, we're trying to be there, but there's going to be the bell curves on either side, right? You're going to have your Mother Teresa's and your Dalai Lama's and whatnot on the one extreme, and you're going to have your serial killers and your other terrible people on the other side, right? Your Hitlers and those kind of people, they exist. That's part of the spectrum of humanity. Um, and we have to be willing to operate in a world where that's a true reality. <laughs> and it's hard in my book, uh, Becoming Toxic Person Proof, I say, there are toxic people and you know them. Most people are good and safe. Like we'll, we'll say nine out of 10. That's pretty good on the bell curve, right? So nine out of 10 people are great. You know, 1%, you know, one out of every 10, you need to watch out for. And they show up charming and helpful. You know, Ted Bundy, oh, here, oh, poor me. I have my um, crutches. You know, I need you to help me with my books. And sucked these women in and then killed them. And Ted Bundy yeah. makes the news. Someone who may destroy your business doesn't. Someone, yeah. you know, most child abusers are not making the news. Um, maybe it's a coach who tears down your child's self-esteem. They're not making the news. Maybe it's a boss who tears down your self-esteem. They're not making the news. But they exist. Yeah. Yeah, that's a... That's a, it's a rough reality to, to learn to live with. Um, so I think this is an interesting transition for my next question, which is your common enemy. So every superhero has what I call an arch nemesis, right? It's the thing that they constantly have to fight against in their world. Um, so in the world of business, it's a lot, it takes on a lot of forms, but I like to put it in the context of your clients, right? The people that hire you to help them. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a mindset or it's a flaw that they struggle with. That, you know, if you had your magic wand and the first time that they saw a sign of the dotted line, you could just, you know, bippity-boppity-boop and that would go away, uh, right? Because, you, you know, you're constantly having to help them overcome that so they can get the results they came to you for. What is that common enemy that you have to fight against in your world? The idea of a comfort zone. Okay, so people come to me and say, well, you know, I'm staying in this toxic situation. I'm staying in this toxic relationship. I'm staying in this toxic work environment. I'm staying in this toxic whatever because it's comfortable. And I say, no, what you're describing is terrible. It's not comfortable. But we yeah. get really afraid of what will happen if something changes. And we forget to become afraid of what happens if things stay the same. And say it's back when you were working 90 hours and had that toxic relationship with time. You were probably afraid, oh, if I don't work this much, I'll lose money, I'll lose self-respect, I'll lose my business. And what you forgot yeah. to be afraid of is, what happens if I do work this much? Will I lose my children's respect? Will I lose my health? Will I lose my marriage? Will I lose uh, my ability to function at a high level? Will I lose my nervous system to adrenal fatigue? You know, we, we forget to be afraid of what happens if we keep going as we currently are. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting what, discussion on risk tolerance, right? Because yeah. as entrepreneurs, we constantly have to look at, like, 
the the thing that I see happen a lot and that, that I always tell people when I go and do a guest on other people's show, they always ask me, you know, one of the most common questions you get on podcasts is like, what's your favorite piece of advice? And I always tell people to take the risks yeah. you're afraid of, yeah. right? Um, because it's, it's generally it's those moments where you're looking at like, whatever I'm going to do next is going to change. It's going to change my, my world, my world that I'm currently comfortable with. Right. And it's not that your world is comfortable. It's that you have become comfortable in it. Right. And when you change it, then you suddenly, you have to be uncomfortable for a little while while it changes. And I realized that all of the biggest shifts towards the positive I've had in my life have been when I've taken the risks I was afraid of. Um, And it's that same type of, Mm -hmm understanding that you're you're in a what you call the comfort zone but it's not really that it's comfortable it's just that you understand it right you know you know how to respond and you know you know when when your boss is saying abusive things you know if you just shut up and take it that he's not going to get any worse in your life you know you you, it's predictable you understand if i have this response i'm going to get this um you know i'm going to get this feedback like you, you you understand the feedback loop is what that reality is it's not that it's comfortable it's just that you know Right, you know what it is, and predictably bad, right? Predictably bad may feel better at that time than unpredictably scary. Yeah, but to call it a comfort zone seems bizarre. It's predictably bad. That's not comfortable. Why are we calling it that? <laughs> like, why are we not afraid of things staying the same? Um, and sometimes people come to me and they, I use the term of toxic people. You talked about a toxic boss. So let's say a toxic boss is gnawing at your arm every day. So there's like a crocodile. So there's like a crocodile. They're chewing you and spitting on you and your arm. And you're like, oh, you know, cause sometimes people will say, how do I not let toxic people bother me? And I say, if there's a crocodile gnawing your arm and chewing it off, and you're asking me how to not let that bother you, you are asking the wrong question. Yeah. And that's the question people come with. Ask a better question. Ask how do I stop the crocodile from gnawing my arm, right? It's it's the it's the pig question, right? It's like the pig coming and saying, How do I not let the big bad wolf the fact that the big bad wolf wants to huff and puff and gobble me up and eat me, how do I not let that bother me? And it's like, what? That wolf wants to eat you. Why do you not want that to bother you? The fact that it bothers you is your nervous system working. The fact that it bothers you means you're not dead yet. And that's a wonderful thing. There's still signals in your bodies that are saying something's wrong and you need to make change. But we kind of forget. And people say, they say, how do I not let, you know, the big bad wolf bother me or this crocodile gnawing my arm every day at work bother me? And it's like, what? That's the wrong yeah, question. Like, like standing in the uh, the fire pit, uh, just the ant, the fire ant pit. Like when you step outside the thing, like you know when they're biting your foot, you could keep it there, <laughs> but it sucks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Change it, brush them off, get the ant poison, get rid of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and people get really yeah. stuck on the question of, but the crocodile shouldn't be biting my arm. They get really stuck on that question, which is another one of my arch enemies. This should, you know, this shouldn't be happening question. You know, the crocodile shouldn't be gnawing my arm. The big bad wolf shouldn't be allowed to blow down my house. Well, that's true. 
but there it's not illegal to be a jerk. Yeah. There's no law against being a butthole. There's <laughs> not. You know, and how do we even begin to enforce that? It's unfortunate, but it's the world it, we live in right now. And it's probably such an interesting, uh, interesting thing to teach your children too, right? So on, on both sides of that, because like as, as a child, they don't really have a lot of ideas of how to like work in society. Um, so uh, they struggle with being assholes yeah, uh, because they don't really know how they fit in society. So you have to both A, teach them how to not be an asshole. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, teach them how to recognize when someone else is being an asshole to them. And that it's all right to say, no, that's not, that's not cool. Right. You know, um, and I've, I've been having a few of those discussions with one of, one of my kids uh, recently. She's got a friend who's, you know, been exerting some peer pressure um to do things she doesn't want to do and like learning how to to help her navigate those situations it's it's an interesting like skill set you have you have to learn how to do that it's not it's not something we're just built in knowing how to uh how to avoid you know previous generations did a really terrible job teaching us what to do i mean it was just like well then just punch them if someone's you know bullying you just punch them or run away from them. Like those felt like the only two tools we were given. And I am very passionate about giving our kids better tools and better ways to navigate that conversation. Uh, my own grandmother, she was talking to my son about a bully in his class. And he said, this kid's bullying people. And my grandmother said, well, if he's bullying people, he probably needs friends and you should be nicer to him. And I remember the light bulb that came on in my own life. And I went, that's where it started. That's what set me. Is it my grandmother's fault? No. But that's what set me on my own path. Because it, it was, if someone's being mean to me, it's my job to change my behavior and be even nicer to them so that they change their behavior. Yeah, it doesn't work that way. It's very unhealthy. Very unhealthy. My grandmother's very sweet. You know, she was giving me the tools that she knew we need to have a better conversation for future generations yeah it's interesting because because it's not it's not your responsibility or even in your power generally to change other people right right? someone like that that bully the kid who's being a bully the other kids aren't going to help him get to not be a bully he's going to need some sort of a uh a mentor figure in his life that helps him with that and when you think right, about like the big that. bad wolf, yeah, when you think about the big bad wolf, it's like, is the advice we want to give, I have two kids, is the advice I want to give them, if someone's trying to huff and puff and blow your house down, do you make them dinner, pat their head, give them a wolf bath, um, give them, you know, wolf money? Like, what? I, what is that the advice I want to give my children? Surely not. Surely not. You know, I, I want for them to recognize there's a, you know, that they can't change that behavior, you know, that wolf behavior, that that wolf is a, you know, and if someone's been, it's very simple, like the idea of taking turns, okay? There are grownups who don't know how to take turns. It's always their turn. Accurate. They always think they can get the better end of the deal. They always think, and people come and say, you know, how do I change my brother? He's, I think he's toxic. He's 55. And I say, so he doesn't know how to take turns. Is that what I'm hearing? And they say, yes. And I say, 
So he's been hearing that he should be taking turns for 50 years, at least since kindergarten, right? So he's been hearing that he should be taking turns in some form or fashion for 50 years. He knows he's supposed to. He just doesn't want to. Yeah. He doesn't want to take turns. It's not that, because they'll say, well, he didn't mean it. He just doesn't know that he's being selfish. And I was like, I think he does know. If he gets his way every time and he avoids work and you do the work, I think he does know. Because if you call him on it, he gets very upset. He doesn't say, you're right. I have been getting the better end of the deal for the last 50 years. I should probably let you have a good end of the deal at some point. He doesn't know how to take turns. And lots of people, it is as simple as they don't know how to take turns and don't and do not want to. They want to find other people to be around to help them not have to do that maturity, right? Remember I said I used to help people. I, I no longer am someone who helps other people get good at being selfish. Yeah. It's a it's an interesting thing because it's 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 a uh we talked about it just a minute ago, right? It's the when you're in that space they're comfortable there Mm -hmm. and in order for them to change they would have to get uncomfortable with their situation yes um, and take that risk of being a different person Mm -hmm. um right and you know know, unfortunately you can't do that for them they have to do that for themselves Mm -hmm. yeah which is hard it's i i know i'm saying really hard things and I'm trying to say them in funny and simple ways. You talked about my superpower and it's like, yeah, here's a crocodile knowing your arm or here's this. And someone may be listening and saying, my business partner the last 20 years is ruining my life. That's terrifying. My spouse is belittling me every day. That's terrifying. I, I don't mean to make light of it. I mean to give you stories that stick so you start to see the world in a different way. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to I want to talk a little bit then about how that ties into your driving force, right? Mm-hmm. So just like Spider Man fights to save you know New York or Batman fights to save Gotham or you know Google fights to index and categorize all the world's information, what is it that you fight for in your business, your mission, so to speak? I'm going to tell you what I'm fighting against because I think it's pretty obvious what I'm for, but my probably like deep rooted fear is that it's so easy for me to do the things that my clients struggle with, which is, well, it's probably not a big deal. Well, they probably didn't mean to be mean. Well, I don't want to have to worry about that. Well, I'll just keep the peace for the sake of the relationship. That is so much my natural tendency and the people that I work with, their natural tendency. And I think a lot of humanity's natural tendency. And I am diligently accepting of my humanity and accepting of those weak spots in me or blind spots in me and seeing those in others and also seeing the pain and devastation of ignoring these things and the pain and devastation of pretending they aren't there and the pain and devastation of saying, well, I know they've done it 15 times. They probably won't be mean to me on time 16. Yeah. And I would love to be able to be that person. Just say, oh, it'll probably all work out. It's going to be fine. I don't want to worry about that. I just want to sing and dance and play, which I love doing. And 
but it's devastating people's lives. And I'm passionate. I'm passionate about protecting people um, and protecting myself. So I think one of the things that's most important for our listeners to get out of that. Um, and it's something that like my, cause my wife is that way, right? She's one of those people that she grew up being a people pleaser like you did. Uh, and I saw that as being toxic in her and have spent the last, you know, our whole marriage helping her sort of become, um, overcome that, um, and be, you know, get to the sort of where you are and, you know, how to deal with toxic people in her life. And I, I know the biggest change for her came when she understood that she mattered, right? That she mattered to like, like that she was important. And I think one of the things that happens when people are okay with other people, you know, with crocodiles nodding on their arms is, is so there's part, part of it is what you mentioned earlier, where they're like, the crocodile shouldn't be doing that. But the other part of it is that like, they're not valuing themselves. So like, I, I'm not worth taking my arm out of their mouth, right? I'm not worth standing up for myself, um, which is hard. And I see that a lot um, in a lot of people who, who struggle with that particular, you know, what you call it, fatal flaw, the, uh, the, the people-pleasing thing is that they don't value themselves, which goes right back to the beginning of our conversation of you have to learn to love yourself. Um, and that's, a, that's an important part. Well, and I'll say I love people and I am people. And again, it goes back to that idea of leading by example. That is what did it for me. When I when I think I'm worth it, I have value, I believe those things, but it, it never kicked in. But when, because I value honesty. And when I went, you know, you are important. My children are important. My parents are important. My loved ones are important, but I am not important. Like I am the only person in the entire world that's not important. Like it was like, what? That's nuts. Am I really the, yeah. am I really so special that I'm the entire, I'm the, I'm the only person in the world that's not important. And when it was like, okay, I'm not good. I'm going to stop giving people advice. I'm not willing to take. And so if I tell my daughter, when you are tired, you need a nap. And I tell myself, when you are tired, you need to push on. I am teaching my daughter not to trust me. I am not yeah. trustworthy. I lie. I tell you to eat healthy and I hide the chocolate bars that I'm eating. I tell you to have, you know, speak up for yourself. And then I, I don't speak up for myself. It triggered something in me when I wanted to be honest you know, it was a harder, it was a harder superhero talk. It was a harder bridge for me to bound across. It was a, it was a big leap for me or at the start to say, I'm worth it. I am a worthy person. I matter. It was yeah. a small leap for me to say, I want to be honest. And if I am telling people things that I am not willing to do myself, then I am dishonest. So if I'm going to tell my children, they're interests are important, then my interests have to be important. If I'm going to tell my friend not to let people talk to her that way, I have to also not let people talk to me that way. And it clicked much quicker than the conversation about me being a worthy human, even though I think I am a worthy human. I couldn't start there. I had to start with I want to be an honest human. 
Yeah, you had to you had to find how how that message resonated with you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and I I know for my wife one of the things that helped it helped it click for her. I was like I was like, you matter to me. Oh. Right. It's like if you matter to me, you have to matter. Yeah. Because like that's that's the way that it works. I was like, you have four kids in there, and you matter to them. Mm-hmm. So you have to matter. Like you can't not matter. <laughs> you, you can't have that choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's it's interesting how you know wherever wherever that comes from, uh, you have to find the way that it clicks because it's an important it's an important thing to get right in yourself if you ever want to be able to, you know, give your value to the world. <laughs> well, your wife was lucky she had someone who made her feel well loved. You know, some people don't have a loving spouse that says you matter to me, you matter to kids. Some people are in a situation where a spouse said, you don't matter to me. And I'm, and I'm going to take your kids where they don't talk to you anymore, you know, and it's very difficult, you know, um, but it is incredibly important and we cannot be so silly to say everyone in the world matters except for me. That's, that's silly. When we say it out loud. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds dumb when you say it that way. Yes. <laughs> so I want to, I want to shift gears a little bit and, um, and talked about something really practical for a minute. Um, and I call this your hero's tool belt, right? So just like, you know, uh, Spider-Man has his web slingers and Batman's got his batarangs and his, you know, gadgets and wonderful things. And I think Thor even has his magical hammer. Right? I want to talk about the top one or two tools you use in your business to make it go round every day, right? It could be anything from your notepad to your calendar to something you use for your marketing delivery, your books, your, you know, something. Whatever it is that is like, I couldn't do what I do without this thing. Mm-hmm. What is one of your top practical tools for running a coaching business like you do? My t- practical tool is what I'm writing my next book about. And I'm going to give you a magic question. Okay. Okay. I'm ready. And it is, what problem are you trying to solve? And the next time you have a customer in spin cycle complaining about this, complaining about this, about this, or an employee complaining about this, about this. I want you to say, what problem are you trying to solve? And if your kids are upset about something, what problem are you trying to solve? And your wife is upset about something. What problem are you trying to solve? And it ends I'm obsessed with it. And every time I talk about it, it's just like this like roar of light or lightning just out of my chest because it is so effective in switching people's mindset. They they feel like they're in spin cycle or they can't figure out what they need to do or they're upset about this or they're, they're in their emotion instead of logic. And you say, what problem are you trying to solve? And they instantly go into problem solving mode and work to give you an answer. And it provides clarity for them. It gets them, it gets all of us out of the spin cycle that we all experience when, you know, we're trying to solve a problem, but we don't know what problem we're trying to solve. And it just feels like a lot of emotion and confusion. Um, it is, it's what my next book is going to be about. And it's absolutely, my clients know, we get on the phone and I say, what problem can I help you solve? And it's instantly strategic it's instantly aligned it's instantly in a lane and when they get out of the lane i say let's get back to what problem you're trying to solve 
Uh, it's it's a uh, classic example of uh, Tony Robbins: ask better questions, get better answers. Yes, yes, yes. And in switching their mindset, you know, if somebody's, oh, you won't believe what happened at work. I'm upset about this, and this happened, and the kids did this and this. And like, okay, what problem are you trying to solve? And they go, oh. Can you get the kids from school on Thursday? <laughs> it's really like, oh, sure, I can. It's shockingly effective because our brains are problem-solving machines. And when you give it a better problem to solve, you're going to get a better life. It's, it's really simple. Yeah, it reminds me of one of my favorite things that I tell my kids all the time. Uh, so we have pretty much a blanket rule in our house. The the phrase, I can't, is not allowed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and anytime I hear I can't, I always respond with, with essentially, it's like, not not you can't, how can I? Yeah. <laughs> right, how can I? Insert mm-hmm. whatever it is you're, you're saying you can't do. Because it, you know, I can't is a shutdown question mm-hmm. or a shutdown phrase. And how can I is, it opens, it opens everything in your head. And it's the same type of question where... Yeah. What problem am I trying to solve is it's a question that opens your mind instead of closes it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And really thinking, am I trying to solve an emotion or solve something logistical? You know, couples fight about who's going to pick up the kids from school on Thursday. And they get in this spin cycle of why is, you know, his job always more important than my job? And his, why is he always getting to be busy? And then I need to, you know, do this, or, you know, maybe if I'd been a dentist instead of a doctor, then I wouldn't be having this problem. And there shouldn't be crocodiles. And I shouldn't have the kid the, the school should end at six o'clock instead of three o'clock for better working for parents. And you hear it all the time. People go into these spin cycles. And it's like, yeah, are you in the emotion? Are you in the logistical? Like what's happening? And there may be an emotional problem to solve of, I feel like I don't matter to you that it's always my job to pick up the kids. And that's one problem to solve. And who's going to get the kids on Thursday? Logistical problem to solve. And people muddy them like spaghetti all into 20 different problems. And they build and they build and they build. You never get anywhere. You never feel like you're making progress in your relationship, in your business, in whatever. Um, so even separating two, separating out the problems you're trying to solve, I call it making it into little waffle squares instead of making it into spaghetti. Yeah, yeah. So you can, you know, make sure the serve gets in every square. Yeah, absolutely. And then you can take off one little bite size. Okay, I need to make sure I make my wife feel more valued. And I need to figure out, we can have a neighbor pick up the cake on Thursdays. Boom, done. You get to go so- on about dinner. Instead of six weeks, you know, instead of six months of therapy. Why don't I feel appreciated? Why? I mean, that that's, it's, it's a mess right now. I mean, a lot of people's healing strategies are real mess. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's rough. And I know like for myself, like I said, we're, we're a traveling family. It's my wife and I, and we got four kids and a dog and 40 feet of space. We have to try really hard to make sure we are not uh, ending up in those places. And we have to, we have to be really good at the communication um, in order to, you know, live a mobile tiny life. Um, <laughs> so uh, we've gotten good at asking those types of questions. I really like that, though, the whole what problem are you trying to solve? Because uh, I have three daughters. 
mm-hmm. and three daughters. Um, you said you have a daughter. You probably understand this. They are very prone to emotional breakdowns, especially since they're young. Um, and like something doesn't go their way and they're just, they're gone completely. Mm-hmm. And it's funny watching my wife with them because it frustrates her. And I always just you know, pick them up and sit them on my lap and let them cry with me for an hour. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I can't, I can't even like they've broken my can't even. I'm like, that's because you're, you like, you understand that. Like, I don't go through that. Right. I don't have that like emotional breakdown thing that the little girls have. So I'll let them sit and cry on my lap. And then when they're done, like it, my, it's essentially the same type of question. What, what can I do to help this be better? Like what's, mm-hmm. you know, what's the problem essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they calm down, they can, they can tell you about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to sort of like bring them out of their emotional spaghetti. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to actually tell you what the problem is. The book 13 Things Mentally Strong Women Don't Do by Amy Moran. She said, and I'm a woman, so I'm going to say this. She said, women spend so much time solving their emotional problems. They don't solve like the actual problems that the emotions are resulting in. So say you're in my house, we have a come apart about what outfit to wear to school. Okay. Yeah. So that that's a silly example, but it's like, okay, if we get all into, you know, why are you so frustrated in the morning and why are you this? And why do you feel like you have to compare to these other girls at school or whatever I miss? Hey, why don't we just lay your clothes, lay your clothes out the night before? Yeah. And what she has found in her studies is that women get so caught up and there's so many spaces for women to do this now, whether it's venting to their girlfriends or therapy or whatever, they can spend so much time talking about the emotions surrounding the problem that they can actually forget to just set the clothes out earlier, like to actually solve the problem. So uh, it was heartbreaking when I read that statement from Amy and I was like, no, that's exactly, that's right. And she's talking about that's why so many more women are on antidepressants. Some of these things is because they forget to solve the problem. They try to solve the emotions surrounding the problem yeah and what's interesting is that emotions aren't problems to solve emotions are states of being Mm -hmm. right you don't solve them they're just part of existence like when someone's mean to you it's going to hurt Mm -hmm. right like it's that's just the way it is Mm -hmm. and so you don't solve that you have to solve the problem of the person being mean to you right that's the whole setting up the boundaries Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, like my, one of the things that I got, my toddler, she's sad about things constantly because she's realizing that she doesn't run the world. Uh-huh. Uh, and that's a tough thing to, to come, you know, come to terms with as a two-year-old. And so like, that's why I'll sit with her and just let her cry on my, sh- cry on my shoulder or whatever. I'm like, cause it hurts to realize that, you know, that she doesn't get her way. I'm like, it's okay. You're allowed to be sad that you don't get your way, <laughs> but at the same time, you still don't get your way. Right. Like that's, that's the way, the way that it goes. So I said, emotions aren't to be solved. Emotions are something that you experience, right? They're just part of life, the texture and contrast of life. And when you can understand that, then you can realize that like, okay, if I, if I don't want to have that emotion, I need to solve the problem that's causing it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's such an important distinction, right? You know, if the little kid goes to the therapy and they're like, why do you think I'm afraid of wolves? what do you think happened in my childhood to make me trigger triggered when I think about wolves? It's like the wolf is trying to eat you build the brick house, right? 
solve the problem. Don't get, you know, swept up in the emotions of wolves. And I see a lot of people lose a lot of momentum figuring out why they don't like wolves. And it's like, what? No, just build the brick house. Now, back to the hero show. So, I feel like that's a good transition point for one of my last questions for you, which is about your guiding principles. Uh-huh. And, you know, one of the things that makes heroes heroic is that they live life by a code. Right? For instance, Batman never kills his enemies. He only ever puts them in Arkham Asylum. So, as we wrap up the interview, I want to talk about the top one or two principles you live your life by now um, that maybe something you wish you had known when you started out on your own hero's journey as a people pleaser with the big P's on your shirt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not going to say I'm perfect at this principle, but the principle that I try to live and aspire to is if it doesn't work, stop doing it. That's a and, good one. Yeah. As soon as you get that, the comfort zone conversation, you know, all that we have is like, if it's not working, don't do it. Try something else. Figure out a different way. See if there's a second door. And we just miss it. It's just so easy to get in the grind. And, well, I've already been doing it this way for, um, you know, <laughs> entrepreneurs, right? Okay, well, you know, I've already been doing it on my own for so long that I'll just keep doing it. And it's like, but you're exhausted. You're miserable. Your health is failing. You haven't seen your children. If it's not working, stop doing it and, and try something else. Yeah, absolutely. It reminds me of uh, one of the things, one of my principles is uh, um, lesson repeated until lesson learned. Uh, I'm actually pretty good at that one. I am actually like the way you say it that because I'm afraid of having to, I'm afraid of having to learn the lesson again, such as taking action, um, such as pretending things are happening. I'm afraid of having to learn those lessons again, which is good because then it spurs me into action of not doing it again. <laughs> yeah, it just it just struck me. I was like, the you know, if it's not working, you know, try something different. You know, it's like only crazy people continue to do the same thing and expect a different result. Right, the same kind of thing, right? If you if you continue to you know touch the hot pot, you're going to get burned every time. 
Right. We say that about only crazy people do. And they 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 say Einstein said that quote. He didn't really. But they kind of attribute that to Einstein, which is a good smart person. But we're people all, do we're all a little crazy. Yeah, yeah so we're so, all a little crazy. Like, oh, I can't believe my um, spouse yelled at me again today for the same fight we've had for 50 years. I can't believe my boss yelled at me. I can't believe I was miserable at work. I've only been miserable there for four years. Why was I miserable today? I can't believe I didn't have enough money at the end of the month. I can't believe yeah, whatever it is. We do it all the time. We do it all the time. And it, it costs us a lot emotionally, physically, financially. It costs us a lot. Yeah, and it's interesting because a lot of times all it takes is someone else to call you out on it and for you to be like, oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I haven't learned that lesson. Mm-hmm. I'm still trying to do the same thing over and over again, mm-hmm. which I think brings me really well to um, the one of the last questions I always ask is um, about your own personal heroes or mentors, right? So, you know, just like Frodo had um, had Gandalf or Luke had Obi-Wan or Robert Kiyosaki had his rich dad or even Spider-Man had his Uncle Ben. I want to know who were some of your heroes? Were they peers, you know, authors, um, coaches, you know, uh, and you know, how important were they to what you've accomplished so far in your life? So I'm a ferocious researcher and reader. So um, I've done Brandon Burchard's high performance coaching. I've done tons of Tony Robbins stuff. I have a Mother Teresa quote on my wall. I <laughs> I love, I'll talk about Mother Teresa. I love that she went through the dark nights of the soul. And when she died, they published some works against that. And in my own life, when I was going through my own dark nights of the soul, I think I could have, again, we're talking about Jesus. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Like, how was I trying to be so good? And my life turned out so bad because of that people pleasing and I yeah. felt extremely forsaken and extremely dark. You know, I, I know I'm like funny and light and, you know, this stuff now, but I, I burned my life down and had to build it back up. It was incredibly painful. It was incredibly terrible. Um, and people really liked that I was people pleasing them. They were mad when that stopped. Yeah. When they want to be selfish and I let them be, that was, that was a good relationship for them. So I had to rebuild all these relationships and rebuild how people saw me, rebuild the integrity of who I was. That was incredibly difficult. Um, so I love that. I love Mother Teresa and others who talk about that dark night of the soul. And we remember them as heroes and, and legacy builders. And uh, Tony Robbins talked about his, I think he was in his early 20s and he'd lost all the money he'd earned and was like in an apartment and somebody had to come drag him out of that apartment. Uh, I love people who've been successful. And then I'm almost scared to say this universe is listening. Who have been successful and then go through another dark night of the soul. There's such, there's such power in that. Um, yeah. And I'm thankful to know about their dark side too. So one of the things that stuck out when you were talking, talking about that just then is being the kind of person um, as a people pleaser, the, the people who you had good relationships with, I say good, with, with finger quotes around it, because they thought it was a good relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're in that space, you are attractive to the bad people. Mm-hmm. And what you find is that 
you're not attractive to the good people mm-hmm. because the people who who you want to be with, who you want to be around are are not attracted to that. They're going to be more attracted to the confidence. They're going to be more attracted to the person who knows who they are and has their boundaries. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that's, it's one of the lessons that I really want to get through to my daughters as they grow up mm-hmm. is that if if you know who you are and you stand up for yourself and you have that confidence and that joy and that peace that comes from being a whole person, mm-hmm. um, that it's going to be far easier to attract a good person in your life to find a good mate and those kind of things. Like all of that, all that stuff happens when you get yourself right. Um, well, I, heard, so, I heard something and they said, it's not that there are toxic people because they just exist. So moving away from the conversation of how do I attract them and then why do I accept them? Yeah are drastically different conversations because really in my times in life, I thought I was doing the right thing. I thought I was selfless. I thought I didn't think because I, I appeared very confident. I didn't think about someone who I wasn't someone who wasn't standing up for themselves. I was someone who could handle hard things. I could handle your pain. I could handle I, my clients. I didn't deal with many people with addictions, but they're like, I'm strong. I'm loyal. I'm kind. I'm standing by you. And that's a huge piece. And that's some of what the missing conversation is, because we kind of think like, oh, if you're broken, then bad people will swoop in. But toxic people can use your strengths against you too. A little too loyal, a little too kind, a little too, maybe a little too confident, right? I'd never miss a toxic, I would see a toxic person. I wouldn't, I wouldn't put up with that. Maybe that, you know, they're very sneaky. Um, and so really you asked me about that one piece where I said, I'm always protecting myself against my own humanity. And so much of our default humanity is missing toxic behavior. And, uh, it's just, it's just a conversation we're so early in having. Um, and I hope the world will be very different by the time your daughters are in looking for romantic relationships with partners and your sons. See, there's obviously toxic people on both sides. So I know, I know. And it's, it's interesting. Cause I know like the world is a very different place than when I was doing it 10 years ago, 15 years ago with my wife. Um, and I know it's going to be very different in another 10 years. My kids are all out there doing that. So like learning these skills myself and helping other people understand them, I think is really going to help, you know, help them grow up and have the skills because they, they have, they have to have the skills to operate in a changing world. We'll just um, exchange numbers and do a little arranged marriage by the time our kids are about that age. I promise I'm raising mine to be nice to their skills. <laughs> Well, uh, what what cracks me up is I've I've got a seven year old daughter and oh. one of our best friends has a seven year old son and those two have decided that they're married. Oh well, uh, yeah. They just they just woke up one morning and they were like, "So we're married," and I was and I was like, "Oh well, that makes life easy." And I was like, "I'm pretty sure someone owes me a goat. I don't know who <laughs> it goes, but I feel like there's a goat that should be exchanged somewhere. Um, so I might have one of them already taken care of." So. Oh, that's cool. I've got a nine-year-old son. So, oh my gosh, he's not nine anymore. He's 11. I can't believe I said that. I'm like in your, I'm like going back in your world of like seven-year-olds. I'm like, wait, no, I don't have any seven-year-olds. I don't have any little kids. Mine are getting big. So I, son. My son's 11 too. He'll be, uh, he'll be 12, he'll be 12 in a few, uh, few weeks, I think, October 10th, which is. I've got a nine-year-old daughter, so we'll pair them up. 
<laughs> awesome. Cool. Well, that's basically a wrap on our interview, but I do finish <laughs> every interview. A wrap on them. Yeah, we, we just, yeah. we'll, just, we'll wrap on the children. We'll get them, we'll get them arranged, arranged marriage, and uh, they don't have a choice in the matter. Um, <laughs> so I always wrap every interview with a simple challenge that I call the hero's challenge. And I do this to, you know, hopefully find access to stories I might not get otherwise, because not everyone's out doing the podcast rounds like you and I might be doing. Um, so the question is simple. Do you have someone in your life or in your network that you think has a cool entrepreneurial story? Who are they? First names are fine. And why do you think they should come share their story with our audience here? First person that comes to mind for you. Um, there is a girl named Amy Lee, and she is a dream design coach. So she helps entrepreneurs do their dream design business. And I had her on my podcast, and we, she's huge on Clubhouse. Um, and we talked about software a little bit, and she had just some brilliant ideas that are just like out of the norm. You know, you start to hear, you're in the self-growth industry, you kind of hear the same things over and over again sometimes. And so much of what she was saying, I was just like, I've never heard that before. It's amazing. I've never heard that before. So I will absolutely recommend Amy Lee Westerfeld to you. And we, we're always exchanging each other's because she feels the same way about me. And it's like, man, every time I hear her, it's like, that's really good. That's really good. So she is very good. I'd love to talk to you. Awesome. Well, I'll see if we can get an introduction to her later um, after the show. Um, but in comic books, there's always the crowd of people at the end who are cheering and clapping for the acts of heroism. Um, of our heroes. So our analogous to that on this show is I want to know where people can find you if they want to learn how to become toxic people proof. Where can they light up the bat signal, so to speak, um, and say, okay, I would like to learn from you. Where can they go? And then the second part of that question is who are the right types of people to reach out? Okay. Yeah. Anybody who's looking for their kindness uh, to not no longer be used against them. Um, they want to not, I, I really like working with people who are looking to design that life they're excited about living. So not just like, hey, is this person toxic or not? That That's a first step journey. And I'm like, let's get you to the end of your journey. Let's get you out of processing into progressing. Um, definitely check out my book, Becoming Toxic Person Proof. Uh, my podcast is called Toxic Person Proof. And my website is under Sarah K. Ramsey. Sarah, S-A-R-A-H-K-R-A-M-S-E-Y. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show today, Sarah. It has been a pleasure um, speaking with you and talking through this. It's a really heavy topic, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, I know we don't talk a, a lot of heavy topics on this show, so it's 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 an interesting uh, conversation to get into. And I think it's important for entrepreneurs, especially because you can have um, toxic partners, you can have toxic employees, you can have toxic managers in your business. Um, it can be a really tough thing if you have a toxic spouse at home that's keeping you from doing what you need to do um, instead of supporting you. Like there's a lot of things that this can really, really impact your business and your ability to give your value to the world. So I think it's a valuable topic. Um, and again, thank you for sharing your thoughts on it. Um, last final question for you. Do you have any final words of wisdom for our audience before I hit this uh, stop record button? Yeah. Um... Since this is entrepreneurs, let's not waste our time on toxic customers. You know, that 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 bottom 10 to 20% that's taking up all our time, all our energy, making us go home and we're exhausted from the day so we can't play with our kids. Again, it's a bell curve. You have 90% of the world who would be fabulous, wonderful customers that you're going to love working with. Don't spend all your time on the bottom of that bell curve. 
Absolutely. Thank you very much for coming on today, Sarah.